You're listening to audio from Highland Baptist Church in Waco, Texas. To find out more about Highland, go to www.hbcwaco.org. Good morning to those who are watching in the chapel today. Good morning to those here in the Life Center. Good morning to those who are watching online. And make sure to say good morning to those who walk in in about 30 minutes thinking they're walking into the 10 o'clock gathering as well. It's, uh, it's been an angering 12 months for, for a lot of people. Angry being asked to, to wear a mask. Angry that some people aren't wearing masks. Angry that 74 million people voted for Trump. Angry that Biden is president. Angry about racism that you've experienced. Angry and being called a racist and you're not. Angry that you lost a job. Angry that you lost a friendship in the midst of all this. Maybe angry that you had to say goodbye to a loved one. Angry how Abbott has handled this. Angry how Fauci has handled this. Angry how Highland has handled this. Angry how your family has handled this. Angry how the CDC has handled this. Angry how your school has handled this. And if you weren't angry 45 seconds ago, maybe you're angry now just kind of think, thinking about it. <laughs> We've looked at three things in this series called Where There's Smoke. We've looked at depression and anxiety, looking at anger today. It's really important if you deal with one of those three things to realize there could easily be a, a fire beneath that smoke. Something that you need to deal with. Something that God needs to deal with in you. Depression is so often... Um, not a choice that, that we make. A clinical depression is a choice that none of us would, would make for ourselves. And we can choose to be downcast. We can choose to, um, to be pessimistic. We can choose to, to feel defeated. But, but most often, depression isn't really a, a choice. It's something just kind of placed upon us, a choice that depression has made for us. And we encourage you, again, if you deal with depression, dark depression, Clinical depression, don't want to get out of bed, not sure I want to live, to, to connect with us. And we would love to connect you to resources and counselor. We encourage you to, to talk to a doctor. And we do encourage you to make a choice about what to do with, with that depression. Anxiety might be a little different. Often we choose anxiety over trust. I, I fully understand there is such thing, a very real thing, as anxiety disorders. If you have an anxiety disorder, we say the same thing. We encourage you to speak to a doctor, to speak to a counselor. Let us help you with, with resources for that. And they may need to be addressed therapeutically or might even need to be addressed medically. But anxiety or, or worry is often something we choose to have. We choose so many times to have worry or anxiety over, over trust. But anger? Anger is usually a choice that we make. I know that anger can be a symptom of, of OCD or of, of grief. Um, anger can be a symptom also of, of depression. And again, if you have any of those, we encourage you, strongly encourage you to talk to a counselor, to a doctor. But, but God's word, though, it talks about an anger that we choose to have. Let me just start off with this statement. Few Christians know how to manage anger, so we just pass it along. I see that all the time. I, I am certain you do as well. I, I do read your social media posts. So I understand that sometimes we, we're angry about something. We don't know what to do with that anger. So we just kind of pass that anger along to somebody else. 
hurt people really do hurt people. We don't know what to do. Oftentimes, even in Christianity, even in walking with Jesus, I, I'm angry about something. I feel this, this anger. What, what do I do with it? And we don't manage it well biblically. And so again, we just kind of pass that anger along. We just get angry at other people or other groups of people. But the Bible talks about two types of anger. The Bible does speak of a, a godly anger. And the Bible also speaks a lot of an ungodly anger. Let me just kind of give you some definitions real quick. You might want to consider with me or write down. Godly anger often arises when others aren't getting what they deserve. Godly anger often arises when we see an injustice in our, in our culture, an injustice happening to someone that we love or even maybe someone we don't know. And godly anger is always constructive. Godly anger always builds up. It's godly anger that birthed the, the civil rights movement of the 1950s, the 1960s. It's godly anger that desires to end abortion, to end racism. It is godly anger that promotes fostering and, and adoption. It's, it's godly anger that drives strategies to reduce or do, do away with poverty and hunger. It's the type of anger that Paul writes about in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26, when he says, be angry, but do not sin. So what's, what's the other side of that? What's the opposite of that? Ungodly anger then often arises when we don't get what we're sure we deserve. And that ungodly anger is not constructive like godly anger is. It's destructive. Ungodly anger says, what's in it for me? I, I deserve this. I, I need this. And ungodly anger is destructive. Ungodly anger will end a marriage. It will destroy a family. It will destroy friendships. It will upend a church. It will destroy our testimonies as followers of Christ. So let me just warn you this morning. Let me warn my heart this morning how easy it is to think that we're always the top one on this list. How easy it is to deceive ourselves that, oh, I'm angry, but it's, but it's godly anger. Let me, let, me, let me put it this way. If you feel like you have godly anger, then make sure you bring it into the presence of God. And make sure you bring it into the presence of God's word and the presence of godly counsel, godly people. And help them put a check on that or at least speak to you honestly. Allow God to speak to you honestly. Today, I would encourage you, let God's word speak to you honestly because let's, let's take our church mask off for just a little bit. We can all self-justify in this room. We can do it quickly and we can do it easily. And so if it is godly anger, that's great. Bring it into the presence of God to make sure that is accurate, to confirm it actually is godly. But most of us in this house, we deal often with ungodly anger. We think we deserve something. We think we've earned something. We think people have wronged us. And it can be so destructive. Let's see what God's word says to us today. So if you're a copy of God's word, and I hope you have it with you, let's go to James chapter 3 together or to your device this morning. James chapter 3. James is kind of toward the end of the New Testament. It's after a rather large book of Hebrews and right before the book of 1 Peter. So let's go to James chapter 3. James is called the Proverbs of the New Testament. There's just so, so much great pragmatic wisdom found in this book. We're going to go to James chapter 3 and we're going to start this morning in verse 13. I'll give you a little preview. James is going to ask us two questions. They're two very important questions for us to consider in this passage. James chapter 3, verse, verse 13. Here's the very first question that James asks us today. Who is wise 
and, and who is understanding among you? Let's stop right there. I know we did not get very far. Here's the question that James is saying. Who has insight? Like who would call themselves a person of understanding? Who would call themselves a man of wisdom, a woman of wisdom? Do you think you're wise? This is what James is asking. And let me just say a little parenthetical statement, a little by the way statement. It is an aim of the Christian life to live a life of wisdom. Sisters and brothers in Christ, it's one of our aims. We want to live in the wisdom of God, live according to his wisdom. Well, look how James finishes this with that question. Here's the answer. By his good conduct, then, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. In other words, wise people are always humble. Would you play this little game with me for just just a second? Would you think in your mind right now who you consider maybe one of the wisest people ever? But you just think about like a very wise person. I'm not asking you to think about a, an, an intellectual person or like who's the smartest person. I'm asking you, who would you consider someone who is godly in their wisdom? They have godly wisdom. Now just think about that person for just a second. I will almost guarantee you the person you're thinking of right now is humble has a spirit of humility about them. You see, the wiser you are, the more humble you will be. But arrogance, you know what it breeds? It breeds anger. When you think that everything is about you, it just begins to breed anger. So wisdom here, look at that Bible passage again, uh, verse, verse 13. It is exported, if you will, through meekness. That's the word that the ESV uses. If you have New American Standard, it uses the word gentleness. If you have the NIV, it uses the word humility. So wisdom is just given out to others in our lives through meekness, through gentleness, through, through humility. Verse 14. But if you have bitter jealousy... And selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and, and be false to the truth. In other words, if you allow jealousy or kind of that self-centeredness or that self-seeking or that selfish ambition to dock in your heart, to lodge in your spirit, to lodge in your life, James says here, you're false to the truth, which is a very weird ESV state, statement, meaning you're living a lie. You're not even living in the truth. You see, when you make the world all about you, That's a very unwise way to live life because then when you don't get your way and you think everything is about you, what happens? You get angry. So ask this self-diagnostic question of yourself if you don't mind. Maybe write this down or just be offended by this with me. How much of my anger is about my self-centeredness? You see, that's a reality check. That's a gut check for us. That's a spiritual gut check for us. How much of my anger is actually about my selfish ambition. It's actually about my self-centeredness. Raising kids, one of my best memories slash worst memories is the car trip, the long car trip with the kids in the back seat. Moms and dads, you understand why I say that's the best and the worst experience all wrapped up into, into one because there's this constant arguing in the back seat of I want to eat at this place, so I don't want to eat at that place. I want to watch this movie next. I hate that movie. That's the worst movie ever made. She crossed my line. Remember that one? I had this imaginary line in the back seat, and you had to stay on your side of the line. And anytime a sibling, like, did you even put their finger on the other side of the line? I mean, all of a sudden, the alarm went off in, in, in the back. My, I won't mention any names, but I have a daughter and a son. And without mentioning their names, it was my daughter that always sounded the alarm. Anytime her younger brother would just kind of pretend like he was crossing over that imaginary line. And, and, and you're not a dad. You're not a true dad until you make this statement. 
don't make me pull over this car. Like that's how you know you have reached the pinnacle of, of fatherhood because you heard your parents say that, your dad say that to you. So all of you dads-to-be one of these years, just go ahead and pray. I know you're, right now you're thinking, I would never say what my dad said. Let me just tell you, you're gonna start repeating everything your father said, the things that drove you crazy. You're gonna now drive your kids crazy with that exact same statement. So just prepare yourself. I said, do not make me pull this car over. I'm, I'm not the detective, but I am the judge. And I'm about to read the sentence. We are not going to have this whole trip, you arguing back and forth. When you think about it, the back seat of a car on a long family trip is the microcosm of reality. We get mad when we don't have our way. We get angry when things are not going our way. How quickly our self-centeredness is exposed when we don't get what we want. Verse 15, this, and that this is referring to selfishness or self-centeredness. That, uh, that definite article, this, is referring back to the, to the word of the two words in verse 14. This selfish ambition, if you will, is not the wisdom that comes down from above. In other words, that type of wisdom is not from heaven, but instead it's earthly. It's unspiritual. Wow, it's demonic. Do you see the growing intensity of how dark and destructive a self-centered life is? It's not just earthly. It's not just unspiritual. It's demonic. Verse 16, for where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. If there's disorder in your marriage, if there's disorder in your family, disorder in your friendships, if there's disorder in your relationships with others or at your office, you need to ask yourself, here's what James is saying, you need to ask yourself, is there jealousy there? So here's the second diagnostic question for us to ask our hearts today. How much of my anger is about me not having what others have? That's the root of that word jealousy there. I'm, I'm envious. I'm, I'm jealous that other people have things that I do not have. Others have good relationships. Others have good marriages. Others get good communication. Others have, have jobs. Others have good friends and more money. They have good health. They get picked. They're on the inside. They have obedient kids. They, they have good grades. They make good grades. Jealousy is the incubator of anger. If you want your anger to grow, you want your anger to mature, if you will, you want your anger to just expand inside of your spirit, then you just stay in a spirit of jealousy and envy. How much of my anger is about me not having what others have? Look what it says here in verse 16, the very end of verse 16. There will be vile practice. So, so those who have jealousy in their lives, those who just live in this self-centeredness that exists there, not only will there be disorder, but also every vile practice. Those two words in, in Greek, phallus pragma, and it means dark thoughts, dark places, dark thinking, dark actions. So you just remain in jealousy, you remain in self-centeredness or selfish ambition, dark thoughts, dark things, dark places happen in your life. And, and when you think about it, we begin to do whatever we need to do to get whatever we truly say we want. And when you're jealous and you're in a place of selfishness, you begin to get angry because I'm going to get what I think I deserve. And that anger does nothing but just begin to expand inside of you. And here's what I'm trying to say. In fact, this may be what a lot of James is trying to say. What's inside of you is coming for you and for those around you. 
I mean, what's, what's in here eventually comes out. The, the, the anger that you might feel, eventually it, it comes out. And I know so many of us, we say, but I'm not, really, I'm not really that angry about things. Maybe I've been angry about things in the past. I don't think about anger a whole lot. I'm not really trying to manage it spiritually or biblically. Let me just say the ticking of that anger inside of you, sometimes that anger is ticking for so long, we no longer hear the ticks of the anger. I've got a clock like that in my office. It clicks every second. I don't think I've ever had an office before where I could hear every second tick on this clock. And it drove me crazy for about two or three weeks. And it's now been almost eight years and I don't hear it anymore. I've learned to coexist with that clock. Same with anger. For a lot of us, same with jealousy. With self-centeredness. It's been inside of us for so long. We've learned to coexist with the anger for so long, not realizing it's just ticking time after time, and it's about to blow because what's inside of you, it will come out of you. It's coming for you and it will come for those around you as well. Your anger will come out. Verse 17, everything switches now. We begin to see the really the practical things of what to do then when we're realizing there is anger inside of us. Verse 17, but the wisdom from above, in other words, the wisdom from heaven, it's first pure, then it's peaceable. It's gentle, it's open to reason, it's full of mercy, it's full of good fruits, it's impartial, it's, it's sincere. I mean, how many of those eight descriptors are missing in our country today? How many of those eight descriptors are, are missing in the church? And let me get really personal. How many of those eight descriptors are missing in your heart? You see, this type of wisdom, those eight things, pure, peaceable, gentle, I'm open to reason, I'm full of mercy toward others, full of good fruits in my life, I'm impartial, I'm, I'm sincere. That wisdom, it says it comes from God, it comes from above, it comes from heaven. So let's see here, four things, these next few verses, there's four things. If you want to deal with anger biblically, because maybe you realize you have some anger in your life, or maybe... Maybe you live with someone who's angry or you have a, a close friend who's angry and dealing with it and wanting to deal with it in a biblical way. Maybe you want to write these things down. These are four very practical things, not from Durham's opinion. That's my last name. Not from Durham's opinion, but, but from God's word. Dealing with anger biblically. Here's four things. Number one, you have peace on earth when you have peace with the God of heaven. In fact, the other three things I'm about to tell you won't matter at all unless number one is in place. I'm not talking about the earth having peace. I'm talking about you having peace on earth. You see, we have peace once we have peace with God. That's why verse 17 says this, this peace from, from above, this wisdom that's from above is pure, it's peaceable, it's, it's gentle, it comes from above. In other words, if your vertical relationship with God is not growing, it's not there, it's not, it's not existent, it's not alive, then you'll never have peace in your heart. I mean, you can read every book you want to on anger management. You can listen to every sermon you want to on how to deal with anger. But if you do not have a living, daily, dynamic walk with God through Jesus Christ, you'll never have peace in your heart. You can long for it all day long. You can hope for it all day long. You can work toward peace all day long in your life to deal with that anger. But at first it begins with a relationship with the God of heaven. Verse 18. And a harvest of righteousness is sown. So James is going to use some agricultural terms here now. A harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So here's the second practical way to deal with anger in your life. Number two, plant seeds of peace 
which will eventually grow into a harvest. In other words, James is so wise of him. I know he's led by the spirit when he wrote this. It's the small things. It's the little small things along the way that begin to either grow anger or diminish anger in your life. And here he is talking about these seeds of peace which grow into a harvestness of, of righteousness, which just means living life in the right way. So when I give you number two, I'm talking about small acts of peace that you can be a part of this week. In fact, Scripture is very clearly saying here that we're the ones who need help make that peace. So small acts of peace, forgiving someone who's offended you. Small conversations of, of peace, sending a text to someone, a phone call to someone, a coffee with someone. They may think differently than you. They may look differently than you, but that's just sowing this small conversation of peace. Maybe just a short word of encouragement to someone that you know might need some encouragement, some small acts of kindness. Here's what James is saying. All those small things of peace eventually begin to grow up into a harvest. You begin to see that God is dealing with that anger by you making Let's just keep reading here. James chapter 4, verse 1. Here's the second question. What causes quarrels? And what causes fights among you? And we say, James, you're asking the wrong question, bro. It's not what causes, it's who causes. James, you're asking the wrong question. It's not what causes quarrels. That the true question needs to be who causes quarrels and fights. And the answer is, it's the Republicans. It's the Democrats. It's my roommate. It's my spouse. It's my parents. It's my kids. It's my boss. It's my mother-in-law. Not my mother-in-law. She's watching today. Everyone else's mother-in-law, though, I'm sure. are causing all these quarrels, but James is so clear here. He's not asking, hey, who is it that you can blame that causes all the fights and the quarrels? He's like, what is it? Because listen, if you think it's always a who and not a what, you will never deal with the anger inside of you. And here's the answer to the question, and you're not going to like it. Is it not this? That your passions are at war within you? Ouch. It's much easier to think about quarrels and fights being someone else's fault. What's their fault? Is his fault? Is that group's fault? But here God's word comes to us and offends us once more. It recalibrates us one more. It says, wait a minute. Those quarrels, those fights, is this not this? Is your passions that are at war within you? So here's my third thing in dealing with, with anger biblically. Ask God to do more work in your heart than the hearts of others. Because man, we are so good at saying their fault. They started it. They said something that, that offended. You know who we learned that from? We did not learn that from Jesus. We learned that from Adam. It's someone else's fault. It's called blame shifting. So instead, let's ask God to do more work in our hearts individually. Ask God, dealing with anger biblically, ask God to do more work in your heart than the hearts of others. What if I can admit, what if you can admit that God actually has more work to do in my heart and your hearts than the hearts of other people? Our flesh says they promised. Our flesh says it's not fair. Our flesh says I earned it. But if you can pause in that moment and ask God to deal with the war inside of you, God, would you bring peace to my heart? Would you bring change to my heart? Would you bring grace to my heart? Would you bring reason to my heart? There's only one heart in the universe over which you have some control 
and it's yours. Ask God to do more work in your heart than the hearts of others. James chapter 4, verse 2. You desire and you do not have, so you murder. James. That's a little extra, man. We just went from like jealousy to, to killing people. But when we don't get what we want and we don't have what we desire, we do get angry. And sometimes that anger goes unchecked in our lives. It can, it, it can kill. I've, I've seen it kill. I've seen it kill marriages. I've seen it kill friendships. I've seen it kill opportunities. I've seen it kill testimonies. I've seen it kill friendships. If we don't recognize that the source and the root is in here. Look at me for just a second. I know I'm not much to look at. Here. We can't recognize that the source of anger, the root of anger is here and not out there. And we've missed it completely. We're not living in wisdom. And that type of anger, let me, let me tell you, friends, it will take you to a place of extreme. James goes all the way down to the extreme of murder, but it will take you to an unhealthy extreme when you think that the root of anger is somewhere out there and not the war being waged in your heart. Verse two, the second part, you covet and you cannot obtain. So you fight and you quarrel and you do not have because you do not ask. Anger grows when we're jealous for the things either we don't have or jealous for the things we can't have. So James says here, we fight, we quarrel. That may not even be an external fight. That might be a fight in your own heart, in your own life, in your own thoughts. That anger begins to grow. We're jealous of those things. We fight, we, we quarrel, we get angry over the things that we, we just say to God, honestly, God, we don't have enough. That's what jealousy says as a Christian. I don't have enough. I need more things. I knew that that person has. I knew that those people have. I, I'm looking for more things. We get angry because we think we don't have enough, which leads straight to number four. Thank God for every good thing he has given you. Want to deal with an angry heart? Want to deal with an angry spirit? Want to deal with anger that might be growing inside of you? Thank God for every good thing he has given you. What if the opposite of anger wasn't peace, but gratitude? God may be onto something here. Who knew? One of the greatest ways to dial down anger might be to dial up thanksgiving. And just to watch that anger in your life be reduced biblically by thanking God for every good thing he has given you. So if this is true, who is our example in this? Who is our example in this kind of humility? Who is our example when we think we're not getting what we deserve? Who is our example when we feel like things aren't fair? And God has graciously answered that question for us. I believe we can most beautifully find it in Philippians chapter 2. If you don't mind, I'd like to read that passage to you, but because of the power of this passage, would you mind standing, please, as I read this over our lives today? Who is our example when we don't think we're getting what we deserve? Who is our example when we feel like life's not fair? Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. Taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, 
and being found in appearance as man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. You see, when we closely follow Jesus, we will push away all this self-centeredness, all this arrogance, all this anger. When we closely follow him, when we closely follow Jesus, instead we move toward a self, an other-centeredness, not a self-centeredness. We move not toward arrogance, but toward humility. We, we, we move not, not toward anger, but toward peace and grace. And we walk in his mercy. Jesus is our example when we feel like life's not fair. Should you back your head with me, please, and let's pray together. So we bless you, God, that there's a grace that's bigger than our jealousy, a mercy that is greater than our self-centeredness, a cross that is bigger than our anger. Jesus, thank you for going before us. We want to so closely walk with you, God, that we, we walk away from that self-centeredness. We walk away from that arrogance and that anger. And as we closely walk with you, Jesus, we want to move toward other-centeredness. We want to live a life of wisdom, which means we live a life of humility, a life of peace. So God, even this week, as we find ourselves growing angry over a situation where we were mistreated or something seemed unfair to us or we did not get what we thought we earned. God, that we wouldn't just pass that anger along. We've done that like a piece of art this past year. But God, we would deal biblically with anger in our hearts, realizing that it's not about out there, it's about in here. Change our hearts, oh God, because of your grace because of your mercy, because of the cross, because of your death, because of the resurrection, we joyfully now sing and pray in that name. Amen.